Yo, what's up? And welcome to episode 60 of Throwback Hoops. My name is Rob Clayton, and joining me as always is Wood. Hang on, that's not Woody. It's a very huge welcome, making his second appearance on the show to Matt Clayton. Good to be back. Uh, disappointed for all your usual viewers and listeners that I'm not Woody. I am wearing a cap. I know he likes to wear a cap, but uh, oh, so you're the only purple you no bars this morning for you, but the only purple you will see is the logo of my shoulder, which we will talk about at some point. But it is nice to be back. And uh, episode 60, you've uh, come a long way. Yeah, it's gone quick. We'll sort of mention it later. I think we had you on episode 24, so it seems like a long time ago that we did yeah, that. Yeah, okay. You know, looking forward to have you. And for those that are at home playing Where's uh, Woody at the moment, playing a game of that, he's actually still in India. He's over there at a wedding. Um Sent me a lovely photo of him yesterday in his traditional um, Indian outfit there. So I told him he has to wear that to the next Kings game we go to, but he, he gave me a few laughing emojis, so I'm not sure that's going to happen. So, all right. So before we get into it, just a reminder where to find us. Um, please make sure you like, rate, and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you find your audio podcasts. Um, so, look, I thought we might sort of um, get into it first like we normally do. I know Matt isn't like the jersey collector that I am, but he is wearing a, a T-shirt today. So why don't you tell us about that one and, and maybe where you got that? Well, there's only two t- uh, only two NBA singlets in this house. They're both my daughters. There's a CJ McCollum Portland one and a Josh Giddy OKC one, which might be going up in value by the day, mind you. But uh, <laughs> my outfit for everyone watching on uh, video here, I'll just stand up. And that's standing up wearing the very cool looking NBA Jam Clippers t-shirt. I like that. And there's sort of two stories behind this. One, because a couple of weeks ago, I actually bought this at a Clippers game, which we will discuss in a short period of time. And I also thought it was nice to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the same frame because they're not often on the court together. So actually to get them on the same t-shirt together was quite nice. It gave all of us Clippers fans a bit of a thought of, imagine how good it would be if these guys actually, you know, play basketball for more than once a week. And, uh, so, you know, maybe it's a wish for the future, but I don't want to get too carried away here. Nice. I must say, I've got a, an old Philadelphia, one of those T-shirts with Ben Simmons and Embiid, and it's quite funny looking at Ben Simmons' three-point shooting. It's completely red. It's the only one I've seen where there's not <laughs> one <laughs> bit of writing on there. So, yeah, no, I like that one. They're pretty cool, those, those NBA Jam shirts. So. Very cool. Nice. Thanks for that. So, well, look, I'll sort of um, talk about my jersey. So I'm doing another Hawks double today. Um, probably some more well-known guys and some of the obscure ones I've been rocking of late. So um, hanging behind me is a Kyle Korver Blue Hawks Adidas jersey. Um, so that's a little bit on, on Korver there. So he was drafted out of Creighton by the Nets at pick 51 in the 2003 draft before being traded to Philly on draft night. Um, actually went on to have a lengthy 17-year NBA career, spending time with the 76ers, Jazz, Bulls, Hawks, Cavs, and Bucks. Um, interestingly, he wore the random jersey number 26 on every team he was on. Um, I know we spoke about that a couple of days ago, so I actually looked into that. So he did wear number 25 uh, in college at Creighton, which actually retired that number. Yeah. When he was a rookie at Philly, they had a bit of a blast in the past on that team. Remember Mark Jackson? So Mark with a C. Yes. Guy there. So yeah, he yeah. was actually wearing 25 for those first few years. So you do see those people that sort of, you know, change the, the next digit up or the next digit down. So you obviously, you know, like the 26 and stuck with that so a bit of a random one anyway um but look he'll always be remembered as an all-star with the hawks in 2015 something that probably people thought he'd never do there when 
four of the Hawks were selected. Um, even better, he was traded by the Hawks to Atlanta for cash considerations only. So that was certainly wow. a plan that worked out for the Hawks. Not bad, eh? Um, so, look, he's definitely one of the best shooters I've ever seen. As a shooter you know, myself, someone I love watching. Um, he actually led the NBA in three-point percentage, a record four times. Um, really made the most of his talents. Um, he was actually a, a sneaky, underrated defender I used to find watching. Very good team defender. Quite good uh, footwork, you know, pretty big sort of guy as well. So he wasn't that standard guy that, you know, people would just pick on defensively there. Um, so, yeah, always a popular teammate and a fan favourite there. So Corbis currently 41, um, works for the Hawks with a recent promotion to assistant GM. And when I say recent, that was in about the last week, I believe, there. So mm-hmm. working with Landry Fields and, and the like there. So, no, it's good to see sort of Corbis going well. But, yeah, what a, what a trade that was, right? Cash considerations oh. only, and we turned it into an all-star. Unbelievable, the tenure that he had there. The thing I always loved about watching him was I've never seen a guy sprint harder off screens. Like That's the thing with him. He didn't just go at one speed. He was like watching JJ Redick in fast forward. He came so quickly off screens. And the thing that always amazed me with him was he would catch the ball facing the sideline and then jump and square up. And his shot release was so quick. Yeah. The shot was in the basket before you realised he'd even shot it. But it was more the angle that he caught them on half the time. But one of my little favourite YouTube clips is, do you remember, I think it was 2015, actually. It was 11 points in 55 seconds or something in one game. It was literally four straight trips, where by That's the last right. time, he, he pretty much crossed half court. You knew it was going up. Um, one of the great streak shooters. But to get a career of that length out of having one elite employable skill, it was a testament to how hard the guy worked. Look, some people think they, they may have seen him in a lot of movies. That's actually Ashton Kutcher, so that's actually not quite cool over there. But uh, all right. Well, look, I'll show you my other random book. So it's another random number, actually. I'll just show you. I'll stand up and show you this one first, and I'll talk a little bit about one of my favourite all-time books, actually. Oh, so everyone watching the uh, video here will see that Robbie's wearing a Zaza Pachulia number 27 Atlanta Hawks jersey. One thing I need to actually ask you with this, you realise you've gone sequential numbers here, 26 and 27. That wasn't intentional, was it? No, it wasn't actually. Pretty unusual. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty random numbers as well. I don't think I've got any other sort of jersey numbers. Maybe I might have an NFL yeah. number, in, you know, a jersey in number 27 or something. But look, I'll talk a little bit about Zaza there. So as I mentioned, certainly one of my favourite Hawks of all time. He actually cracked my top 10 list when we did our favourite top 10 Hawks of all time uh, last year. So Zaza was drafted out of Georgia, and no, not Atlanta, Georgia, the actual country, um, by Orlando, pick 42 in the 2003 draft. Um, also went on to have a long career like Corba, spending 16 years um, and having time with the Magic, Bucks, Hawks, Mavericks, Warriors, and Pistons. I actually forgot he finished up with the Pistons. So, yeah, similar to Corver, he actually wore this random number 27 on every team he was on, so which is pretty pretty strange. Um, look, his accolades are two-time NBA champ in 2017 and 18, um, as well as being in the front office for the Warriors Championship last year. Um, so Zaza's now 38. Um, he's also well-known for four more things, certainly four things that I remember. Um, the nothing easy and the we're going to game seven baby comments um, against Boston <laughs> while playing for Atlanta. Um, obviously, you know, we've got a fantasy comp that's been called we're going to game seven baby for, for quite a while in honour of yeah, Zaza yeah. there. Um, probably the injury to, to Kawhi in the 2017 playoffs there, which was a big talking point at the time. Um, nearly making the All-Star game in 2016, and there was a lot of, um, you know, f- fans doing sort of almost funny votes to try and get in there. Um, and probably lastly, for having one of the largest heads in NBA history alongside <laughs> the two Sabonis' there. So um, even his teammates used to sort of have a bit of a joke about it there. So, yeah, definitely someone I, I really like there. Um, 
obviously, you know, quite a smart player. He was a good passer. You know, he sort of knew his role, didn't he? Um, he'd probably be that sort of player that if he was playing now, they'd really work on his three-point shot and everything. He was, you know, reasonable free-throw shooter and stuff like that. So um, I actually haven't shown any bobbleheads for a while, so I thought it was only fitting that I have both of these guys I'm showing today in bobbleheads. So oh. the first one, um, not Ashton Kutcher, it's Kyle Corver. That's a, a pretty pretty lifelike-looking one. you got to laugh, it's actually, at the, Zaza, the Zaza one. His head's actually ginormous. So you look at the Zaza oh, one there. So it is to scale. Yeah, it is. So his head's about twice the size of the Kyle Corbel one there. So this one's a bit of an older sort of team giveaway um, one there. I believe the, the Corbel one was one that you can actually buy in shops. So, yep, the two bobbleheads for this week. I know we haven't had a few of those for a while, but, yeah, that's my random Hawks journey. So as I said, a little bit more well-known than the you know, the Dan Dickowls and some of these other ones I've been showing lately, um, Para Antich and stuff like that. But, yeah, that's um that's the, the jerseys for this week. All right, so we might get into it, I think. Uh, Matt, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, let's do it. But we'd, we might start off this week um, before we sort of get into a little bit of NBA talk. Um, just wanted to ask you a little bit about your recent trip to the US. Um, maybe why don't you tell us a little bit about why you went over there. Um, give us some thoughts on high school hoops that you saw quite a lot of um, and let us know about the four games that you attended while you were over there. Yeah, look, it was nice to get out of Australia, for starters. I mean, it's obviously something that we've not been able to do for quite some time. But mm. uh, my daughter is currently playing under-18s for the Campbell Dragons in the VJBL here in Melbourne. And every couple of years, the Dragons send a team over to the US to play against some high schools and what have you. And they haven't done that for a couple of years because we haven't been able to get out of the country. So... Uh, Fair to say there was a reasonable appetite for it. There was a travelling party. I think it was about 65 of us. So we had a, a JV, JV girls team, varsity girls team, JV boys, varsity boys, coaches, managers, bus drivers, parents, a whole lot. So logistically, it was interesting. It helps with getting planes held at airports when you're running late, by the way, when there's 65 of you. But uh, that's mm. another story. We did that a few times. But uh, it was really interesting. We played uh, a tournament in Texas, in Waco. And then we played some different schools through North and South Carolina. So going through Raleigh, Durham and Charlotte uh, down to Columbia in South Carolina. And it was just really interesting to see how different the game is played at that age group over there in terms of the basket's the same height, the court's the same dimensions. So many of the rules and things that we're used to in Australia that go right the way from juniors through to senior basketball, as far as we get to FIBA rules with the NBL and WNBL, don't exist in high school hoops in the US. So did you notice operating... before you get onto those, Matt? Did you know there was going to be a lot of difference in the rules of world? I, I knew. Like... I knew a couple of things. So I knew, mm. for example, that the three point line was shorter. So if you remember yeah. the old, old three point line that we used to uh, use, or even the old collegiate one that basically touches the top of the circle at the top. Yeah. Yeah. So they're using that three point line. It's a skinnier keyway. So the keyway is the width. Is the width of the free throw elbow. So it goes right the way down. So it's a, a mm. more narrow keyway. Shorter three-point line, um, like a million other things. You can call live ball timeouts. You can pass the ball into the backcourt, which we see in the NBA quite a bit. Um, no shot clock. This was the big one for me in that the shot clock rules over there are very state-dependent. So playing through Texas and the Carolinas, they don't run shot clocks. And each coach has seven timeouts they can call. So you can imagine with the lack of shot clock pressure and the amount of timeouts you can call, the coaches are way more involved than they are in Australia. So what we found was the instinct of Australian kids is defensive rebound, go, because you at least want to get that first phase of your possession done before you get deep in a shot clock. Get down, look for something early. If you haven't got it, set something up, run a play within 24 seconds. Over there, you would see teams get four, five, six-point leagues with four minutes to go and start running four quarters and trying to burn the clock. 
And then if you get tied up or you fall over or you're about to make a mistake, you just call a live ball timeout and reset it. So it was that, hugely overcoached. Yeah. No, what was interesting was that it seemed that the players, they ran they ran their sets really, really nicely, but there was none of that read and react stuff that we see here. It's like, oh, there's a mismatch here. Someone's overplayed there. Someone's not. Someone's ball watching and you can back cut. All that sort of stuff doesn't happen because you've got to run the play perfectly, even if it takes mm-hmm. a minute and a half. So that's the thing that we found over there. So our teams, you know, the, the JV girls that, that my daughter Jasmine played on did extremely well, better than we thought. And I think a lot of it was that opportunistic early hit, quick offense. And not only do they not really use the three-point line, they don't really defend it very well. So when you've got kids that can make threes from normal fever range, which is five or six feet behind their three-point line, you get kids doing short closeouts. And our girls had pretty open looks most of the time because they're just not used to defending to that depth. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it sounds like they did go well. I was sort of surprised when you were updating me with the scores. Yeah, they had a couple of big wins too, didn't they? Oh, a couple of 50-plus point wins and you know, oh. games where we made 10, 12 threes because they just weren't really defending the three-point line very well. But the second part of your question in terms of what games we saw, which is probably more interesting for your audience, we we got to we got to a couple of NBA games, a couple of NCAA games. So we got to Memphis and Charlotte in Charlotte, uh, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, a chance to watch Jar Morant at close quarters. You know that he's small and slight. And when you see it live, he looks like the kid that's walked into an adult's game and you look at him physically. He, the fact he's able to get to where he gets to and as easily as he gets there, it kind of defies... The only thing I can think of that's a correlation is way back when, is me watching Alan Iverson live. Mm. But Morant's got the verticality that Iverson didn't. So Iverson was probably quicker A to B, but Morant will go will finish over the top as well as going side to side. That was what was so yeah. impressive about watching him. The other game we saw, uh, unfortunately, well, it was Clippers-Denver, unfortunately, for two reasons. A, the Clippers lost. B, uh, Jokic didn't play for Denver, it and this, yeah. which is such a shame. I mean, the guy probably should be winning a third-straight MVP this season. What was really interesting about watching that was that Denver, they play a very different way to a lot of NBA teams in that the ball does move irrespective of who's on the floor, and I think that's probably something to do with the way Jokic drives that team. So you still had Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and KCP, who you know runs a lot of stuff off screens and what have you. The ball never stuck, so they were mm. always getting open shots. You've got—I don't think it's any uh, surprise. Aaron Gordon's having a great year this year because he's just constantly on the move and getting the ball in the darker spot or cutting down the middle. They were really fun to watch. Clippers didn't have Paul George. Uh, Kawhi played and played quite well. Uh, John Wall was very good to watch live until he strained his abdominals doing an enormous dunk at one point in that game. So the dunk was good. The uh, the two weeks you on the sideline, wasn't you it? You enjoyed watching your favourite player, um, Morris, play in that game as well, did you? The funny thing about watching Marcus Morris is that, like, if you were at home, you could go and, I don't know, unstack the dishwasher or put the kettle on or something when he gets the ball in the mid-post because you know it's going to be about 15 dribbles and a bunch of jab steps and then he'll eventually take a contested two. Sometimes they go in. Sometimes they don't. It's not a massive amount of fun to watch, I must say. But uh, the other games we got to, we got to a TCU Texas Tech uh, NCAA men's game, which the facilities over there, for anyone that's been to the States, the college facilities are crazy. They're better than NBL teams we have here. Also, two two local Texas teams going at it. So that was pretty fun. And, you know, the brass band and all that sort of stuff, your, your standard sort of college experience, that was a really good game. TCU came back from a pretty big deficit to win that at home. So you can imagine the crowd was up for that. And then the other game we saw was we went to Clemson 
in South Carolina, which is well known for its uh, college football team, that we saw the stadium. I think it holds about 85,000 people for a college football stadium. It's completely crazy. But there, uh, we saw their women's basketball team against Syracuse. And the cool thing about that was that each team had an Aussie playing for them. So uh, uh, Georgia Woolley from Queensland was playing for Syracuse. She played really well, actually. And uh, Holly Holly Hank from uh, from Clemson was the starting uh, five there. So to watch those two teams go at it, another interesting game, bit of an up and down game. But again, the facilities and the game presentation, the experience, it's definitely an eye opener for all the kids that were on the trip, and just shows you shows you what Buddy could do. Oh, I bet. I'm assuming the women's Syracuse team are the orange women or something like that. Because I know it's obviously the orange men, the men's team. What do they call the women's Yeah, team? I think they are the orange women. There's a lot of tendency over there to put the word lady in front of something. So it'd be oh, the, yeah, the, the lady Mustangs or whatever yeah, they might be. So yeah. there's, a lot, there's a lot of that going on. But uh, what was amazing about Clemson actually was that they took us on a, a tour of the stadium afterwards and showed us the locker room and the weights room and the the player lounge and the film session room and everything else. And it was it was like going, I've been in a lot of NBA locker rooms and it was like an NBA locker room from probably 15 years ago. They then explained to us that the other side of the stadium, they have a completely separate facility of equal standard for the men's team. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy. They do not share any facilities. And the facility we saw for the Clemson women was as good as any NBL's team or NBL team or maybe, you know, really senior level college or low level NBA team. It was amazing. Judging how much some of these college teams are making and why they can oh, potentially yeah. afford to pay some of these coaches the money they pay as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's good. No, it was interesting to hear about that. Yeah, like you said, it sounds like a great trip. Obviously, you know, very heavy yeah. on the basketball with the you know the high school hoops there, and obviously attending four games. I believe you were supposed to go to an ice hockey game, but you got um, delayed at an airport or something like that, right? Yeah, so I'd like to congratulate United Airlines for. Uh... Not letting us get to that one. Nice six-hour delay in Washington Airport. So we, the uh, the NHL plans got scuppered, which was a shame because most of the people on that tour hadn't seen an NHL game live. And it's one of those sports that's way better live than in, than uh, on TV. So yeah. everyone missed out, unfortunately. I'm sure they probably offered you like a ten dollar voucher or something to to make up for that or something. Did they? I think I think I think it was ten bucks actually. Yeah. Nice, nice, yeah. <laughs> very good. All right, now I appreciate that. We'll just wanted to sort of talk a little bit of NBA now. So as I mentioned at the start of the show, um, you know those who tuned into episode 24 when Matt was last on will remember that you're a long-suffering Clippers fan. Um, so I wanted to sort of go back in and revisit a bit of a key trade for the franchise there, which remarkably will be the four-year anniversary of in June this year. So. Sorry to sort of dampen your day talking about this one, but of course I'm talking about the Clippers and OKC trade. Um, so I wanted to see how you're feeling about this trade. Um, honestly, I was looking through it this week. I literally had forgotten that the Clips had given up five first rounders. I know you hadn't there, but why don't you sort of tell us your thoughts about it? Maybe sort of tell some of the audience that weren't totally aware of what this trade, sort of, you know, the details of it and everything else like that. Well, long-suffering Clippers fan, that's almost like an unnecessary prefix because we're all long-suffering. There's, there's no true. such thing as a, as a content Clippers fan, but Look, the, the Gilgis Alexander trade, well, I, it was one of those things you remember exactly where you were when it happened. I was going through security at Singapore Airport and my phone buzzed and someone had said to me, Kawhi Leonard plays for the Clippers. And I'm like, what? What is going on? And then I had to put my phone through the, the baggage thing. So by the time I came out the other side, I realised that they also had Paul George. I'm like, what is going on? And then I also realised they didn't have Shay Gilgis Alexander. And it was only the... It took me a while to get my head around exactly what they'd given up. And we were talking about this the other day with SGA that, well, A, the Clippers didn't draft him. Charlotte actually drafted mm. him and flipped him for Miles Bridges on draft night, which that's one of the things that has worked out the Clippers' favour, let's be Definitely. perfectly honest, with the Miles Bridges thing. But you look at the trade, 
everyone can get comfortable here. I'm just going to read this so it can actually sink in. So the Clippers traded Shea Gilgis-Alexander after his rookie year and Danilo Gallinari and a 2021 first-round draft pick. They also traded a 22 first-round draft pick, two 2023 first-round draft picks, a 24 first-round draft pick, one in 25 and one in 26 so they could get Paul George. Now, it's not just getting Paul George because if the Clippers didn't get Paul George, then Kawhi Leonard wasn't coming. So it is a two for 12 trade or whatever you want to call Mm. it in that respect. But we're four years into this now. SGA's turned into... Is he one of the best 10 players in the NBA now? I don't think it's... I'd, I'd say he's to definitely say close to top 10, top 10, isn't he? Yeah. And then you've got a situation where the Clippers made one deep run. They made a conference final. Remember, without Kawhi playing, because he actually hurt himself early in that series against Utah, which they went on to beat. Paul George was outstanding in that series mm. against Utah and then also Phoenix. And you're looking at this season. If you look at the standings right now in the Western Conference... OKC and the Clippers are in that group of, I think it's eight teams that have got 23 to 25 losses at the time of recording. So OKC are younger, have all of the Clippers draft picks for the next four years, and right now, probably better. And I guess the question would be, if you tried to trade SGA for either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard individually right now, Oklahoma City are laughing and hanging up. I wouldn't have thought so. And I don't think anyone expected SGA to be this good. But his rate of progress and how he fits in with the timeline of what they're doing, they're arguably ahead of schedule, OKC, when you consider they don't have Chet Holmgren yet. Mm. And they've got a blueprint for what they're going to be. And the Clippers, as we sort of touched on off the top, it's like you have to check on a daily basis to see who's playing, when they want to play. Some guys are injured. They've had Canard injured lately, which has not been... He's actually incredibly important for them, Canard, even though he's not one of their main guys. But on a day-to-day basis, it's, is Kawhi playing? Is Paul George playing? Are neither of them playing? When they play together, they're really good. And the problem is they have this attitude that we'll just wait for the playoffs and everything will be fine. Well, that's all great if you're in the play-in or if you've got no continuity. And what's interesting this year, I don't know whether you've noticed this, Ty Lu is getting publicly more and more frustrated by, can I just get my team together so we know what we have? Because at the moment, they just don't know. And then Kawhi dictating, I want to play the entire third quarter when I play. It's like, well, that's all fine. He comes back in with six minutes to go in most games in the fourth, and he's absolutely gassed, and he's got nothing down the stretch. And What's so, contract status, by the way? I think Kawhi's got one more year, does he? I don't know what, what PG's is. Yeah, I believe it's one and two, respectively. But the problem okay. is now is that you look at the – they're an old roster. Right? You mm-hmm. look at the guys that are getting rotation minutes. The only real young guy on that roster is Zubats. Yeah, um, they've got guys who are still very good at what they do and they fill a role. And Norm Powell fits into that category for me. But you're not, you know, Marcus Morris isn't a guy who's getting better necessarily. Neither's Kawhi, neither's George. Reggie Jackson was starting. Now he's getting DMPs. Mm. John Wall's injured all the time. So not only do they have this old roster that's kind of treading water because they're never on the floor together, you can't say, all right, we'll flip some pieces and we'll build through the draft because they don't own any of their draft picks. No. So, what's your thoughts on Terrence Mann, by the way? He seems someone that I thought was ready to maybe break out a little bit. And we haven't quite seen it. Have we? He has an occasional, I think he had a 30 point game a few weeks ago, but then yeah. he's been missing for weeks after that. I, I reckon he's a guy who suffers a bit with the role continuity that we were talking about before. And mm-hmm. I actually quite like what they've done the last couple of weeks. They've said, right, you're starting. He's not really a one, he's not really a two. He can, he's a bit of a combo guard. But there's some role consistency with him at the moment. It's like, we're not going to start Jackson or Wall Wall's injured, as I said. You're a starter, you're playing 27 to 32 minutes. 
And no. so he knows where his minutes are coming from. He knows where his shots are coming from. He's very good defensively, and he tries really hard defensively, which is not something you can say about a lot of that roster. He's a young guy who's been – his whole career has been very chaotic in that he would not play for weeks. And then you remember the Utah – he won the Utah series for them a couple mm, of years ago because they played him as a floor spacer and Rudy Gobert couldn't guard him. And he had 39 points in that clinching game. So I like him. I think he gives them a jolt of electricity. And it just – there's not a lot of guys on that roster who come in and you notice their presence from a physical po- and effort point of view. So I actually quite like that they're playing him more – if it puts a couple of noses at a joint, I think Tyloo's just clutching at straws at the moment, trying to find five guys who will actually turn up most nights and give forth the effort that he wants. Because, you know, what are we, 50-something games in now? You can't just be waiting for April the whole time. You've got to make your move. Mm, good point. Last question on that. Obviously, you went to the two NBA games. How did the two, like, game night experiences sort of compare there between the Charlotte and the Clippers game? I'm assuming they're both pretty good, but how did they sort of compare? Yeah, they were both good. I mean, the Charlotte game was difficult to gauge because they got down big early and it never really recovered. And Mm. also, I think half the crowd was there to see Morant anyway because he's from South Carolina, I believe. So there were a lot of people, you know, relatives and what have you in the house for that. And he was, him and Terry Rogier got into it a little bit in that game and that you may have seen there was a possession where Morant just let the ball sit in front of him on the floor for about Mm. 20 seconds before he picked it up. He was just trolling Rosier at this point because they were up 30. So, look, the game night experience in Charlotte was excellent. That's a fantastic stadium. Um, downtown, very big, um, really, really well done. Uh, I was going to say Staples, but it's now Crypto.com Arena for the mm. 10 minutes before that gets changed. But um, it's you can tell it's an older stadium now. It's a bit sort of rough around the edges. And, and we know the Clippers are building that incredible new facility in Inglewood, which they're going to be in in a couple of years. So... That stadium's a little bit old and tired. The game night experience is not a great crowd, the Clippers crowd, for the most part. It's not. You can definitely see how when they play Golden State at home or when they play the Lakers at home or when they play anyone with a Boston, a big fan base, you can see how those fan bases would probably overwhelm the Clippers fan base a little bit. But there's definitely a sense of, I reckon there's a lot of frustration with the Clippers fans because they know it could and should be better. And, you know, they, they, again, they played mostly from behind in the game that we saw. They made a bit of a run, um, but it was, I think the Charlotte crowd is probably a better crowd if they had a better team. But at the moment, uh, they're not getting that excited watching Mason Plumley shoot left-handed free throws <clears> most <throat> of the time. So uh, there's not right. much to get excited about there. It's interesting, isn't it? We were talking about how the Hawks seem to be getting a lot of media attention this year, maybe high expectations. Mm. I haven't heard a lot of talk about the Clippers this year. It's not sort of, you don't sort of see other podcasts talking about them, whether they've been, you know, disappointing or what the story is. They seem to have maybe sort of been under the radar a little bit, I reckon. Well, I reckon part of that is that there's nothing new here in that Mm. it's the same old story. It's like, well, are these guys playing or are they not playing? And they've got continuity issues and they, they carry themselves like a team that's won something, which has always amused me because they haven't. Um, I still think people still kind of take the piss out of them a little bit from the bubble after what they did in the bubble there, because that was that was so bad. I mean, it still holds scars now, and it's mostly the same crew. So I think maybe the reason you're not seeing as much talk about them is that it feels like a story we've heard or read before. Yeah, no, good call. All right, nice on that. Well, I thought we might sort of finish off this quick hit segment with a little bit of WNBL talk. Um, 
obviously I know you've probably been a, a bigger WNBL fan over the years than I have. I'm certainly a lot more into it this year, but I wanted to have a bit of a chat about the absolute goat of women's basketball in Lauren Jackson. Um, we sort of found out she's been playing with a broken foot for this past, past month. Um, still managed to drop 30 points in a win versus the Flames last week and has led the Flyers to a second uh, place um, position on the ladder at the moment. They're currently 11-4 and four at the time of recording. Um, just wanted to see your thoughts on, on Jackson there. How remarkable has this been from her, given that she's just played an NBL one season? and also played in the World Cup and now playing in this WNBL season at age 41. Yeah, look, it is a, it's not even the age with her. It's the fact that she's been so injured and mm. she's a parent and all that sort of stuff. It's all those things that you add into it. And when she was coming back to do the NBL one thing, I thought, well, that's nice. They've got a team at Aubrey. That's fine. That's where she's from. She wants to play for the hometown team. And then you started looking at the numbers. And it's like, okay. Um, because she was always able to, to score the ball, defensively she struggles in certain situations, but she's just a complete walking bucket, whether she's you know, walking into trail threes or she's in the post or what have you. When they put her in the World Cup squad, I thought it's partly almost ceremonial and they're getting in there and there is a figurehead to sell tickets. And because she's a good teammate, that's clear. What she did, I mean, you were there for the for the bronze medal game uh, for the World Cup. I had gone back to, to Melbourne by that point. But what she did in that game, winning a medal basically single-handedly for a country at a home World Cup at age 41 with everything she's been through. So when she decided to play WNBL, I thought, okay, that's interesting. You don't have this carrot of a World Cup coming up now. Mm. Standard for her to play with an injury and not tell anyone about it and just, and just do what she's doing. But... You look at that Southside roster, it's almost a national team roster, really, but she's the one that takes them over the top because there's no matchup for her. Mm. And so whether you've got one working foot or two, doesn't really seem to matter. Um, She's having an amazing season. I still think that they will win it simply because they've got, I mean, I don't know whether you saw a few weeks ago, Sarah Blitzhaus had 41 on 15 or 17 shooting. And then the next game, I think she scored two points and they still won because Mm. they're completely loaded. They've got the best defensive backcourt in the league. Bet Cole's just someone you would not want to have guarding you for 40 minutes. No, thank you. And then at the end of the game, if it gets tight, you can throw it into the best women's player ever and she'll get you a bucket. It's pretty hard to deal with. Not a bad thing to have, is it? No, they've certainly been impressive lately in sort of moving their way up the ladder there. So, yeah, and obviously I've sort of mentioned on the show, obviously calling her NBL one game and just how, how nice she was and sort of how good she was with the fans. I saw some footage of her after that UC Capitals game. Um, she had her foot inside a, an esky filled with ice and literally sat there for close to an hour, apparently, you know, meeting fans, signing autographs, taking photos and stuff. So it just shows you what a remarkable person she is. And I don't think she said for sure that she's retiring, has she? I mean, look, it's expected that she will, but I don't know whether she's 100% said that. Normally with her, I mean, she'll, she'll keep, she strikes me as someone who will keep playing basketball until she's physically not capable of doing it anymore. So I don't think mm. she would have got into this season thinking, oh, this will be a two, three-year thing. It's like, because she'll get to the end of it and go, eh, maybe I'll go around again. And, what will yep. be interesting to see is if they win the championship or not, how much that factors into any decision she makes. Mm, that's because if you, could, if you could play your last international game and win a medal, and if you could win your last domestic game and win a championship, it doesn't really get better than that. And I'm not sure she's someone that sort of goes to the nostalgic endings or whatever. But in terms of a way to finish up, it'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Mm, it's sort of a fairy tale finish, wouldn't it? So definitely encourage any fans that are out there, obviously, to try and get and see her, you know, live if you can. You know, obviously yep. playing around the country, but certainly you know check out any games you can on TV and and experience what might not be there for too much longer. So no, good to talk about the goat there. Um, I, I'd love to see her in, in NBL one again this season, but she's definitely not going to do that. There's just going to be no break if she goes to that. But yeah, obviously yep. watch this space. We'll, we'll find out if she's going to be playing next year. So. 
All right. Well, appreciate that. We might get on to some NBL now. Um, so, look, it's certainly getting to the, the business end of the season, isn't it? Um, round 16 just completed. Um, we're on the round 17 starts tonight. So, should say at the time of recording, it's Wednesday, the 25th of January. So, we've got a big round coming up. Um, before we sort of talk a little bit about the round and before we talk about the last round, actually, I just wanted to give a bit of a, um, I guess, a shout out to Harry Froling there. We heard the news um, yesterday about the a really sickening incident that happened in Wollongong um, last weekend after the game. It sort of left him with bleeding on the brain and required surgery and everything else like that. So that was pretty pretty hard to hear that. So yeah, definitely our thoughts of you know with Harry and his family there. We hope he makes a, a full recovery. He's certainly one of the characters of the game, isn't he? Um, we saw how good he was at NBL one level, and he's certainly had some some decent moments in the NBL. So just wanted to start off with that. So yeah. Um, Obviously, wish him a speedy recovery. Um, on more positive news, I guess, so, Matt, we'll talk a little bit about round 16. Um, I thought it was a bit of a, an interesting round. It sort of really did sh- shake up the standings. There was teams on doubles that went one and one. We saw the 36ers slide down to, to eighth place there, probably a team that you can you can cross out now. So it looks like there's seven teams playing for those six spots now. Um, just wanted to see who maybe you impressed you in that last round and obviously how you're feeling about our Wildcats fans now, uh, Wildcats chances now as well. Yeah, well, a few things. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Like Melbourne United might even be the best team in the league right now in terms of the momentum yeah. they're going. They might have almost left it too late. It's funny that their roster suddenly makes sense. Mm. Um, you know, Marcus Lee's been really good. I, I hated to hear the news that Shaley's injured again. Oh, um, he's just had, he has had the worst luck. They're a completely different team when he plays. Uh, Rajon Tucker's definitely had a very good second half of the mm. year. I spent most of the first half of the year bagging him, but uh, he's been yeah. excellent in the second half. But um, the thing that impressed me probably the most was what New Zealand did going into Sydney. I think mm. they'd lost six of eight or seven of nine. They were on a real downturn. Barry Brown's been injured. There's some, you know, um, repairs just come back. They had some role continuity issues there. To go into Sydney in front of that crowd and Sydney coming off a loss two days before and to get that win, I still think... I still think they're the only team that could probably beat Sydney in a five-game series, quite frankly, in that mm. I, I'm not sure. I mean, Cairns, I like what Cairns are doing, but do I trust them to win a five-game grand final series if it came to that when they don't have home court advantage? Probably not. New Zealand's got a bunch of hardened pros who aren't going to be scared at the moment, and they will play for the final whistle. I like what they do. I thought that was an incredibly good win. As for Perth, look, I mean, I was – so I'm – doing double duty at the moment, working at the Australian Open Tennis, which is my side hustle when I'm not doing motorsport. But uh, nice. so fair to say that uh, my nocturnal hours have been pretty severe the last couple of weeks. Helpful for watching Perth home games, of course. But uh, mm. that Perth-Sydney game Friday night last week might have been the highest quality game of the season when you factor in the three-point shooting. I think the teams didn't even have 10 combined turnovers. It was an incredibly high-standard game. What Perth did against South East Melbourne on the Sunday, look, I wasn't surprised when I heard that their initial flight out from Perth to Melbourne on the Saturday got cancelled. They didn't arrive in Melbourne until basically midnight, Saturday night, Sunday morning. It was a 2pm local start, in, so 11 o'clock Perth time. And they'd only played seven guys, really, against mm-hmm. Sydney on the Friday night. So you could see South East Melbourne were just trying to play up-tempo. Perth shot the hell out of it in the first half, and that was the only reason they probably were down 20 at half time. And Jesse Wagstaff said afterwards that was... A 20-point loss that felt like a lot more because you could see all the effort things. Getting back on D, the rebounding was absolutely horrific. I think it was they doubled up their uh, doubled yeah. up their rebound tally, which is definitely Perth's Achilles heel. So I think as far as Perth go from here, the blueprint's there in that they 
if they shoot the ball like they did against Sydney or even 80% of that, they're not going to lose too many games because they can score the ball so easily. I'm still not sure whether a seven-man rotation is really viable the longer they go forward. They're going to need something out of Blanchfield. Norton's been injured, so we know that he'll play. Even if it's five minutes of Midgel, Midgel, I don't know. I don't know if you could run seven guys in a playoff series where you're basically playing every other day. So I think the offensively they are there. The thing I like about what they have done is they are what they are this season. They're an offensive-driven team, which is unusual for Perth. They're normally a hard-headed defensive rebounding team. That's not who this personnel is. Brady Manick is the world's tallest two-guard at this point. He doesn't rebound or play defense. He can score you 25 points if you don't guard him. Mm. So I think they've leaned into what they are at this point. They will try to outscore teams rather than out-defend them. And there will be nights where they make 15 to 23s and you're not going to beat them. But in terms of are they going to win a championship, the whole season, I don't know about you, but to me it's been, I keep thinking it's Sydney and someone, Sydney and New Zealand, Sydney and Cairns. Sydney's the name that's always first in that conversation for me. And it comes down to, are you going to beat them in a five-game series when they have home court advantage? And other than maybe Melbourne, funnily enough, who might not even make it, mm. and possibly New Zealand, I don't see who that is. Interesting. I think Melbourne are eight and one since the start of December, so they've clearly got the yeah. best record in the league there. A little bit of a shout-out to Adam Ford as well. I think Kansas over and under this year was either five or six. I know Woody was all over that saying, you know, jump Incredible. on that. He's obviously a bit of a Cairns fan. What they've done there, I think they're up to 16 wins at the moment. He should be a shoe-in for Coach of the Year. But, yeah, it's interesting. It feels like every game is just so important now. You know, obviously we'll talk mm. about the, the games in a sec there. But, you know, even that first game tonight, you know, if the Phoenix lose that, that really sort of puts them behind the eight ball as well. And I think they've got – yeah, they do have um, the Kings on the weekend as well. So it feels like every game's important. And we've seen teams like Brisbane now. I think they might have won three in a row as well. So not every, you know, Illawarra um, won a game in New Zealand last week. So it just shows you anyone on their day can mm. win these games. So – uh, interesting. Yeah, I was probably the same with Perth there. You know, it was a really impressive game. They've got the same sort of deal this weekend, though, don't they? They've got that Friday night sort of, you know, late game for us in the Eastern States in Perth, and they've got a backup again on Sunday. Quite a long road trip as well, you know, Perth to Tasmania as well. Look, Perth and Tasmania are two teams that are pretty similar on the ladder as well there, so that, that is quite an important game. So, um, yeah, interesting. All right, well, um, I might just put up a, a slide for the games there. Um, I don't have Woody's fancy sort of slide that he normally puts on each week, so I'll see how I can go there. It's a bit of a bit of a new thing for me doing that there, but we'll put up the slide, and I'll just sort of quickly just go through a few of the games there. Um, all right, so we'll start off, as I mentioned, Wednesday the 25th today. We've got the, the Australia Day um, day off tomorrow. So start off with the Phoenix and the Taipans tonight. So looking forward to watch this game, actually. Pretty big game for both teams. You see um, Taipans are getting a little bit more healthy now with Pinder back. But I'll ask you your thoughts on that one first. What are your thoughts on, on this one? Well, interesting it's at the State Basketball Centre rather than at John Kane <clears> because <throat> the uh, Australian Open's on at the moment. Now, I understand that game, like Sunday's game out there, is already a sellout. Yeah. Um, that venue's loud. It's a really good shooter's gym, and it's a loud venue. So I think you know, South Melbourne, no Ryan Brockoff, unfortunately. He's going to be yeah. out for a minimum a few weeks and possibly season with that groin. He was absolutely unconscious against Perth last weekend. But when you look at what South East Melbourne have got to play for at this point, given they've got a road game on Sunday, they have to get this. And I think uh, this, this, this strikes me as Mitch Creek is not going to let them lose. I don't know about you. 
No, good call. Yeah, it's certainly a must-win game. And if they lose this one, yeah, it's going to be really hard for them to sort of make it now. But like we said, every game seems important at the moment. So, um, so it's just the one standalone game on Australia Day. Um, so it's a nighttime game. It's surprising they didn't try and maybe play a, you know an afternoon game there. So we've got Brisbane against New Zealand there. Um, look, I'm going to say New Zealand will be too strong in that one. I think it's too important a game, despite Brisbane being on a bit of a streak there. Um, I'll take us away with the next one. So we've got a really good – well. A really good double header on Friday. Probably not as good as the, what we had last Friday, but um, the Jack Jumpers against the Kings in that first game on Friday. So really looking forward to that one. Um, I don't think we'll see the Kings lose three in a row. It's not something we've seen for quite a while now. So I'd say the Kings will win that one. That'll probably potentially shake up that top six as well. But what are your thoughts on that second game on Friday with the Wildcats hosting the Hawks? If Tyler Harvey's got the ball and it's a close game in the last five seconds, can we make someone else beat us? That would be the first mm. thing I would I would say because you know he's not going to be scared to take the shot. I mean, and uh, we saw what he did last week. But uh, look, Perth's got three of their last four at home, and yep. this is the one you have to get. Uh, Elora's gone in there and shot the ball pretty well in the past. They've got some guys who can definitely fill it up. We know they're under man, but that's one of those games that if Perth are legit, they need to stomp on them early. Um, going back to what you said about the Jack Jumpers Kings game. When you've been up the top of the ladder like Sydney has been all year, sometimes you need a little bit of a motivating factor to lose two in a row like last weekend. You know Chase Buford's going to be using that all week. And they're a veteran group. They understand what this is. We need to go down to Tassie, very hostile environment. Let's get a win and remind everyone that we're still the best team in it. So those two losses last weekend might actually be good for them in the long run. I wonder if DJ will be getting a bit of a reception from that Tasmania crowd as well. I'm sure they've got a I would have thought memory. so. Yeah. No, looking forward to that. Well, yeah, another <clears throat> double header on Saturday again. So we've got the Breakers back in action. Um, a lot of teams on doubles this weekend. So the Breakers against United. Now that's a cracker of a game, isn't it? 5.30 Saturday night. Um yeah, that's. I think it's Melbourne's. Yeah, Melbourne are one of the only teams with the one game. Um, it's hard to go past Melbourne in that game. So I'm going to say probably Melbourne continue the streak there. Really liking what Marcus Lee's been giving them lately. Um, I think he'll be really important against Derek Pardon as well. Um, love yep. what Pardon does. You see Brantley's in really good form. And obviously um, Woody's mate BMW as well, McDowell White. He was amazing in that game against the Kings. He's got those... Really lovely floaters inside. So, look, that's a lot of good games this round. I'd say that potentially could be the game of the round there. So, I'm going to say yeah, great in that one. Yeah, hard to say. Yeah. You know, not tip them with the streak they're on. But um, I'll throw it over to you for that second one on Saturday. So, we've got the Taipans and Bullets. Um, I know Woody always tells me the name of this, the Stoush or some silly name like that, but not really a name that's really sort of, you know, um, hit off there. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on that one? We'll keep it brief. A, it's the Sunshine Stouse, which Stouse, nice. I can't even say it. So if you've got a, you've got a speech impediment, you're struggling. And uh, <laughs> part two is that Taipan's easily. Yeah, no, good call there. Um, then we go through to another sort of double double header on Sunday afternoon, which they seem to be doing quite regularly. So Jack Jumpers against our Wildcats there. So, yeah, certainly looking forward to that one. Um, actually going to be at a kid's birthday party right around that time, which is a bit annoying. Oh. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, on that Sunday, it's also Hawks Clippers. So... It's also our NBA teams matching up against each other and then our NBL team playing there. So hopefully that goes a bit better than, than last Sunday. But, yeah, I'm going to say the Jack Jumpers win that one. I don't think they're going to lose two in a row at home. It might be that same thing for us. It might be a bit of fatigue after the Friday night game. But, yeah, I'd say the Jack Jumpers. I don't like picking against the Wildcats. But, yeah, as I said, I don't see them losing two in a row at home. I think it's just too too important there. Um, Agreed. All right, so just the two games left. Um, so the Kings against Southeast on Sunday afternoon. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? How much does that game, Kings Southeast, depend on 
Southeast Melbourne might be playing for their season at this point, mm, uh, particularly if they don't win on Wednesday night and we know they're a little bit undermanned. The Kings are not quite sort of put the queue in the rack territory, but if they get the Jack Jumpers game on the road on Friday night, that's a different approach for them, isn't it? So it's such yeah. a, you know, on paper you would think Sydney at home, Southeast Melbourne might be on fumes at that point. We don't know. Mm. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, Alan Williams. That's a game where you could see him, if he plays like he played against Perth last weekend, where you just literally could not keep the guy off the boards. Um, he's a problem. And mm. that could be that could be a problem for Sydney. But so much of that game, to me, depends on what happens in the days coming into it. No, very true. Last game of the round. No, this isn't a misprint. Cairns are playing again. So they've got three games this weekend, which is pretty remarkable. So two games at home, the first one tonight. So they're hosting a 36ers on Monday night there. So... Look, the 36ers seem to be unravelling a little bit, don't they? Things don't seem to be, be too well um, for them. Um, I don't believe they I think there's still mathematically a chance, depending on the results there. I think it'd probably have to take a lot. I could even be wrong. There. Maybe they could be sort of out of contention now. Um, but, yeah, I don't see the Taipans dropping that one at home. We know, obviously, Adelaide's got some some quality players on that roster, but they just don't seem to be meshing well together. So I'd say the Taipans. But, yeah, three games for the Taipans between Wednesday and Monday. So it's a busy round for them, isn't it? If I'm not mistaken, I reckon one of those was rescheduled because of uh, one of the COVID cancellations where they couldn't field a team. I think that's why we've ended up getting them three games in a round. But uh, they've got yeah. they got way too much to play for to drop a game like that against a team who, like you said, I mean, there's 50 things that would have to happen for them to make it, and I don't think that's going to be the case. And that's a long break for the 36ers too, isn't it? It's their only game of the round on the Monday, so they've got like well over a week off there, which is a little bit strange as well. So you wonder yeah, how they'll sort of come out in that one. But no, really big round, really looking forward to it there. And as I said, it's a you know, penultimate round of the season. Um, next week's going to be amazing as well. I think the play-in tournament has brought a bit of extra interest, hasn't it? I know a lot of people weren't that pleased with it at the start of the season, Probably us as um, Wildcats fans, we're probably happy that it's it's happening there because I don't think we'll be finishing top four. But yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the. There's there's some seasons where the play-in thing feels like you're just creating extra games for the sake of creating them. I think at the moment we've got seven pretty legit playoff teams, particularly you know Melbourne United is coming from a fair way back, but they're playing really well as we said. So it yeah. feels like play-ins appropriate because all the leading games are are quite important at the moment where if you were literally just padding it out and some team was going to slide in with a sub 500 record or really just be in there making up the numbers then it would would fall in a bit flat so circumstantially mm. it's worked out pretty well but i think yeah, that last round like, i mean every game you can have the calculator out working out who's actually in and not and that's exactly what you want well, that percentage is going to be coming into play you know woody and i've debated this on the show before you know do you shoot it at the end of the game absolutely you do in my yes. mind absolutely you don't in woody's mind but there's going to be little things like that that you know, important. If you could get like a three on the buzzer of a game or something like that, don't worry about this etiquette sort of thing. You should just go out firing when, you know, until the until the final buzzer goes. So, uh, all right, looking forward to that. Well, yeah, that's what it takes us to the outro. So, yeah, just wanted to really thank you for coming on. Um, it's been great having you back on. I know it's a little bit different for people. It's the first time that we haven't had Woody and I, you know, it's our 60th episode. We thought it would just be good to to give us another show there and obviously, you know, get someone else on that's an absolute, you know, guru on the game as well there. So, um, just, yeah, as I mentioned at the start of the show, please make sure you like and subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, in terms of where you can find us there, so on Twitter, we're at throwbackshoops. Instagram, we're throwback.hoops. And our email address is throwbackhoopspodcast at gmail.com. Um, look, I know obviously you mentioned you're working on the tennis at the moment, Matt. I can see behind you you've got your little logo for your podcast for the In the Fast Lane. So why don't you give that a bit of a plug? I know we actually do have 
a few listeners we spoke to the basketball blokes recently they're sort of um, avid fans of you know your podcast as well so why don't you tell the listeners when that's going to be back on and maybe where they can sort of listen to you there yeah, that's uh, nice to hear. No, in the fast lane, it's the Australian Grand Prix official podcast. We're about to start season four, unbelievably. It was one of those things mm-hmm. that we uh, came up with during one of the lockdowns in Melbourne. We were good at lockdowns in Melbourne. You might have heard <laughs> that. But uh, we needed to do something. We had no events on here. So I think we're 140-odd episodes in. I think the plan at this point is that we'll kick it off again mid-February once Formula One and uh, MotoGP pre-season testing starts. Uh, I may or may not be heading up to either Sepang or to Bahrain to cover that. So we'll be up there. Australian Grand Prix coming up first weekend of April. It's already a sellout. And you know what that event's like down here. The fact that you Mm. cannot even buy a ticket months in advance. And I think there were 440,000 people there over the weekend last year. And it's going to be bigger than that. So... The sport's never been bigger and better. We'll be bringing weekly episodes with interviews with drivers, past and present, team principals, other media people, and so on and so forth. But uh, at the moment, it looks like we're going to be starting mid-February. But uh, if you follow the Australian Grand Prix on all their social media channels, they will tell you what I can't. Great to hear. And yeah, I'll certainly you know, echo that. Make sure you, you, you sort of add that to your podcast list. It's always a, a must-listen um, sort of show there. Looking forward for that all to be back. Well, all right, we'll sort of be back to normal next week. Woody will be back from his little um, junket over to India there. Um, got a few things installed. We've actually got some um, some special guests coming up in February as well. I know we've sort of teased that a little bit. I'm not going to give anything away yet, but we've got, um, you know, NBL Hall of Famers. Um, we've got some some uh, podcasters that have made it sort of big in America. That's probably the only clue I can give at the moment, but stay tuned for that. But otherwise, just want to thank everyone for tuning in. It's a big piece out from the Throwback Hoops Brew.